Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. This is Andrew Frezza, and today I have a special guest, Pat Barber of Warm Up and Work Out. He's also still on the CrossFit seminar staff, and we're going to be talking all things coaching, uh, online business, coaches development. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Pat. Hey, how you doing? I, I did not know that's how you said your last name. I'm glad you started <laughs> off with that because I would have butchered that halfway through at some point. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I think a lot of people that listen to the show probably know who you are, but can you give us some quick highlights of just kind of your career, whether that be like athletically or business so people can get a little bit of that background? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm probably the youngest, oldest person in CrossFit. Um, I don't know if that's an actual title I can give myself, but how, in, how old I'm are you? Cross, I'm 35. Yeah, uh, okay. 35, but I have three kids, so you might as well say I'm like 50 uh, at this point in time. But I, uh, I've i been doing CrossFit since 2004. Uh, started when I was like 18. My my old high school teacher was Tony Budding and Nicole Carroll. They both taught me in, in high school, and Tony ended up going on to be the, the uh, media director of CrossFit. Nicole is now the training director of CrossFit, you know, uh, or director of training. What is her official title? She's high up there amazing person um but yeah no i i started then and i i just kind of was in the media department for a long time uh, i worked for again faster selling gear for a long time i i coached at multiple gyms i ran multiple gyms i uh, started competing in 2008 uh 2008 i got fourth of the games and then i competed in 2009 2010 11 12 uh, actually 12 i missed then i competed in 13 14 15 um both team and individual i've uh, run some massive crossfit organizations uh helped build norcal crossfit which ended up turning into nc fit uh left because we had a, a differing ideological uh directions you could say uh and then uh, started warm-up workout in 2015 and to help gyms right just basically run better gyms just through you know, we'd made a bunch of mistakes, wanted to help gyms avoid those same mistakes, yeah, keep some good consistency. And, uh, and then other than that, just raising kids and living on a farm and yeah, nice stuff and, in the space. <laughs> and what's your main focus today? Like what's a, what's a given week look like for you and what takes up most of your time and attention? Yeah. I mean, honestly, we've positioned ourselves pretty well to, uh, you know, Currently, we're running warm-up and workout. That's our full-time business. Um, and my contributions to that are in the space of uh, talking with gym owners and kind of helping them through some setting up the processes with warm-up and workout and uh, having answering any questions and doing kind of like a monthly video chat, stuff like that, and filming videos for the daily briefs. Um, so that's my main work at this point in time that consumes my time. Uh, but we've kind of positioned ourselves pretty well to where that's not a whole ton of time. Uh, most of my time right now is actually around building a tiny home in my backyard and raising my children. But uh, <laughs> the other side of it is that. And then I, I travel on the weekends and still teach seminars. But I, I everything I do, I, I really enjoy and I'm very fortunate to do it. So I, I kind of feel like uh, I've kind of got best of all worlds. That's awesome. How many seminars do you still do a year? Will you expect to do now that we're kind of post COVID? Um, I've, I've never made seminar staff my full-time gig. Um, I mean, whether or not that was my choice or not, uh, <laughs> I was kind of the type of guy who was, I, I did it once 
once to three times a month, uh, three times on like the super when I was working the most. And then these days it's been on average about one, one to two a month. Um, I'd say across a year I'm doing 15. So it averages out about one, one and a half a month. Um, recently I've been put on a bunch, but these days it's, it's yeah, about one a month. So not, nothing too crazy, but it's allowed me to keep pretty high passion for it. I, uh, I still think it's one of the greatest offerings that exists within our space is that level one kernel. And then a level two being what it is, is so awesome. So, yeah, I agree. Um, cool. A lot of stuff I want to dive into. Um, I was wondering if I want to start with talking about what you think makes a great coach. And I'm curious if you had brought up kind of the differing opinions between you and the direction of NC fit of how much was related to kind of your views of a coach. And if it's something that isn't related to that, we don't have to get into it. But I'm curious if it yeah. was kind of how you view coaching, coaches development, business side of things. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, it just kind of revolves around what the purpose of the business is, right? Um, like if the vision of your business is to help people and then you have somebody whose vision of the business is to make money, then those two don't need to conflict. Like I think those two ideologies uh, don't, don't need to conflict. I think they can actually work really well together, but mm-hmm. when, when there's a power imbalance between somebody who only wants to make money and then if they can in the background help people, they will. Um, and they're making kind of all the decisions and your only focus is to help people. <laughs> there, there, there comes this conflict of interest. Um, and that, that's where it was with that is there was this desire to have like a hundred million dollar company. And my belief structure, especially around what a gym should be committing to is like, the gym owner should commit to the coaches and their, their day in and day out should be making the coaches uh, feel taken care of, feel like they have say in what's going on and like really a part of the space because the coaches then take care of the member. And I think what I, what I tended to see was the owner taking care, trying to take care of the member at the expense of the coaches. And then that type of a business model is just like a revolving door of coaches versus, you know, doing everything in your power to take care of the end member by taking care of the coaches. And that, that's the, that was the, I guess the, the difference, the big difference that I ended up making me be like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. I love that. What, what do you feel allows coaches to thrive and, and to create that career within the space? I think it totally depends on the coach. And I think that that's one of the reasons that there's so much variance in the uh, the business mentors that exist within the space, right? Like there's so many people who come in and say, this is what it should be, or this is what it should be. But I think much like any, as a coach, any athlete you meet, there's going to be so much variance to what that athlete's going to bring to you and how you're going to have to interact with them. I think meeting coaches where they're at as a business owner uh, or finding coaches that fit your individual space is really the thing that's going to make like a long-term successful coach possible. Um, I think having a very honest discussion with yourself as a coach and being like, what is it that I want? You know, like, is my goal to own a yacht? And they're like, yeah, it's to own a yacht. And then you're like, this is not the right industry for you. You know, like a yacht is outside the pay scale of this industry. Um, but, but if, if you have the hard conversation early on and be like, okay, what is, what is the realistic wage that would make my life a better life and something that I can continue to, you know, feel good about. And then I can not worry about that and worry about how to achieve that wage and then discuss very openly with the business owner is that possible 
And if they say no, then you're like, cool, this can't be a full-time gig. I can't invest my heart and soul into this if it's not going to be something that will eventually give me a wage that will be, allow me to live a life I want to live. Um, but I think those conversations never get had. Never, they don't get had on a personal level. A coach doesn't say, hey, here's what I want from this organization. And they don't get had on a business level where maybe they do say that to themselves. But they never have that with the owner or the, the, the gym to see, okay, what are the steps I can take to get there? Um, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I think that those are the main things that I see is that people haven't had that conversation as a business and finding like-minded people to achieve that or as an individual for being like, what do I really want? Um, and then trying to go create that. It sounds like with warm up and work out, part of you not spending that much time on it is not that you don't think it could grow to be much bigger, but really an intentional decision to say, I want to have this, this balance in my life to be able to spend time building my tiny home to spend time with my kids while they're still young and around. And it's, it, there's an intentionality behind, I want to make a certain amount of money, but once I get to a certain point, that money is only useful if it allows me to live a certain type of life. Absolutely. How yeah, did you, absolutely. how did you arrive at that point? Um, I think for me, um, I, I looked at what I thought true wealth to be um, and kind of created a, a definition of that for myself. Um, and once I had done that and I kind of like got to this place where uh, I could actually rely on that definition and realize that by my own definition, I was wealthy. Um, that, that was the thing that really did it for me. So for me, I had to create a definition of wealth and mine was that I could eat what I wanted to, where I wanted it and when I wanted to. <laughs> so as long as those things were kind of met, everything else was pretty frivolous on the other side. So like, like the car I drove didn't really matter to me. All that kind of stuff didn't really matter to me. It was just more like, could I eat really good food in a place that I wanted to do it? And you know, when I wanted to do it. And if that was a yes, then I was wealthy. So and that's actually not very much money in all honesty. Um, I, I live in a place that's exorbitant in terms of cost. Like California's housing prices are like, houses are going for over a, a million over asking in my town right now. Wow. So like, like that's, that's the, like the, it's, I think the median house price for a small two bedroom in town is like 1.3 or 1.2. It's just this obscene pricing. Um, so my thought was always like, that's what houses cost. So I had to earn like that kind of money or close to it in order to even just like feel like I could eat what I wanted, where I wanted, when I wanted. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of stuff happened. But I think the, the way that I did it was just created a definition for wealth for myself and then pursued that and realized and then recognized it when I got to it and didn't try to could kind of go beyond that. Yeah. I love that. We, one of the things that we do with all of our new coaches is we send them a document in the hiring process called, why do you coach? And we have them answer a bunch of questions. And one of the questions that we have them answer is if you did win the lottery and you won a hundred million dollars and you, you now never had to work again in theory, what would you do with that? You know, what would you do with your time once you do that? And I love that your working definition of wealth is a doing definition. It's not a having definition of, oh, I would have this, I would have that. It's a, I want to be able to eat this and experience this. And 
I think that's the switch that people have to, to flip because they, a lot of times they chase money thinking that they want more stuff, realizing that you still have 24 hours in the day that you have to spend in a fulfilling way. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, 100%. I think, I think it's, it can be seen pretty readily in, in the fact that like, if you look at, if you look at a lot of the world, it's not like problems disappeared. You know, once we figure out how to feed everybody and get everybody, like not everybody, but for the most part, the vast majority of people that we have in the US have food and shelter. You know, like when those basic needs were met, like it didn't like suddenly solve all the problems. And, and that was like the original status quo for humans was like, can we, can we survive, you know? And as soon as we got past that, now it's like, well, now what? And we have to find meaning in a lot of the other stuff that we're doing. And I think that, I think the wealth pursuit is a similar thing. It was like this idea of that once you get it, you know, you're, you're made. And it's like, that's baloney. Like that, that can't be the case. Like your brain is going to go out of its way to create some sort of strife or, or discontentment with whatever it is. And I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think I 100% vibe with the absolute pursuit of, like doing versus versus just having stuff. <laughs> awesome. Well, I didn't think we would start there in the coaching conversation, but I do think it's a valuable pace for people to start because oftentimes people will jump towards kind of the logistics of what am I doing as a coach? What am I learning? And yeah. I think it really starts with that. Why? One of the things that I caught on your warm up and workout website, which I loved was powered by coaches skilled at communication emotional intelligence and village building. That was yeah. one of the key lines that caught my attention. And, and we believe really strongly in sort of those soft skills of a coach. So when you think about those skills, how do you teach those skills? Can you teach those skills? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that I wrestled with for a long time, uh, just because and I've, I've told this story in other places, but like, I always thought I knew I was good at coaching. Well, I knew I was better than people around me just based off the responses I got from people. That was kind of like my, my test. It was like how well the people respond to me was thing that's going the right direction. Great. So when I became, when I kind of fell into the role of coaching development, um, which ended up happening a little bit down the road, it was like, okay, now how do I replicate this? You know, what do I do to make it so, people become in my mind at the time, me, right? Like how can I make new me's? Um, which, which ended up being a, a bad path to travel down because there's many ways to be successful within the space. You don't need to be me. Uh, you need to be a version of you that works really well with the people. And then, you know, over years of trying to slowly refine stuff, you come down to the same, like I kind of came to the conclusions that, that the biggest thing that a coach needs to have that, that really kind of changes the game is that, that empathy, that empathy and human connection and communication. Like that's the thing that sets, you know, someone who's mediocre at coaching apart from somebody who's truly fantastic at it. And it's actually the thing that if you have like the other skills come a lot easier. So like if you, what's the independent variable most commonly associated with maximizing the rate of return of favorable coaching adaptation. You know, it's like, it's the intensity of the, the coaching world to me is like, you're looking at somebody who can communicate and can kind of feel a room. Um, and the question that you have of whether or not you can teach it like that, that's like, I mean, that's so much of business coaching these days is trying to figure out how to teach people how to communicate with each other, which is 
bizarre because like that's what we are as uh humans is like this unique creature that can communicate so darn well with language but then there's so much outside language so can you teach it i i think yes but i think step one to that is self-awareness um you have to become more self-aware and and plenty of people myself included just walk through this world for a long time being so self-focused that they don't pay attention to what's going on around them so if I'm going to teach that kind of a thing, first thing is making someone self-aware. Um, and that's not necessarily easy to do. Um, and again, that process is going to be different from coach to coach. Some coaches lean towards being so self-centered that all they're ever looking at is self and other coaches are so outwardly centered that they never take care of self. So mm. you have to then like, between those two coaches, you can't say the same thing. You have to go, okay, I want you to have empathy. I want you to do these things, but not at the expense to yourself, you know? <laughs> and then other coaches, you have to be like, hey, hey, stupid, like over here, like pay attention. Like you're just, you're not, like you could be talking to an empty room right now, you know, and, and you have to make them see how they're perceived by others. So that, that coaching development, that process was really difficult to bottle up and have something kind of standardized um in my mind it was a little different than movement where movement was like it's pretty general and then there's like weird things that go off and and you know there's the, the tangents that you can go off on or the, the little nuances from person to person but it's pretty similar from person to person and the vast majority of people respond to the same stuff whereas i found developing this stage of coaches was hard to do intentionally and very hard to make it the same process for each person, um, which kind of led me to question why we'd created so many good coaches coming out of one space. Like we had one space and out of that, we ended up having like, like nearly 70 very competent, competent coaches come out of it. And I realized one of the biggest things we can do for the development of this is the, the, the modeling of it. Um, is the modeling of something that's truly great. Um, much like raising children, like you can say everything you want to say, but they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be what you do. You know, like if you act a certain way and you are move through the world a certain way, they pick that up without you telling them. And if that's contradictory, especially to what you're saying, <laughs> that, that even creates more dissonance and makes it harder. So um, I learned that when we had coaches that were like the pinnacle of what we wanted that represented true greatness in any given space, it raised the game of every other person within that space. And every coach who saw that, even if they weren't doing like coaching development sessions, they, they just, it just bred greatness. And I think that that's one of the hardest things that I, and one of the things that breaks my heart with some gyms is that they don't have anyone who is that who represents that, like that greatness or pursues that. And that's something I really think we have lacking in in our space is great visual representations of what good coaching should look like like you see it on a two-day course when you go to a level one or a level two right you see what it's what's possible out there but you don't see it every day in your face every class you know like and just that constant interaction so to develop the kind of stuff that you're saying i'd say the best thing you can do is find someone who does it really well and and be around them a whole bunch and try to emulate that uh, or put someone within your space who's truly great and then try to get the other people around them to act like that. Yeah, I love that. Have you have you found any ways to impart that via 
warm up and work out from this kind of remote setting where you're, you're not in there with them, but how yeah. do you impart some of that into the gyms you work with? Yeah. I mean, it's been hard because honestly, especially when you're dealing with a company, like we're dealing with, we've got a business to business company, right? So we've got not straight to consumer. Uh, we go through the business and then the business has to implement what we do and then give it to the consumer. So there's kind of this weird little game of telephone. Um, I kind of liken it to, uh, can you be a little quieter with that cricket crinkling bud? I'm on a call here, bud. Try to be ninja style. Um, he's got this bag of plantain chips. He's just going to town on. Um, anyway, I kind of liken it to coffee shops. You know, like if you're a cafe and, and say you're like a world-renowned coffee maker who has amazing beans, like you can roast the best beans, source them all, do all the greatest stuff. And all of a sudden you, you, you wholesale them to some random account. And if their baristas are terrible, and they give a horrible customer experience and they, and they, you know, burn your coffee and they burn your milk and they like oh, underdo, overdo the water, underdo the beans. And, and then they're like, yeah, this is it. This is our really nice coffee. You're like, well, yeah, it is. But you had that, that there's that disconnect with the person who was delivering it. So it's been really hard on our end to make sure that the, the gyms that we have are really bought into what we're doing. And I think that that's, that's the, the thing that we really, uh, we've really tried to do is like really bring someone on board and make sure they're fully on board, get all the coaches on board and uh, make sure there's not like uh, someone's not within their, any given gym disagreeing with what's happening and they can have conversations with me and be like, Hey, this is, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going. And, and this is why we're doing it. And they could text me or do whatever they got to do, because for us, it's way more important that they believe in what they're delivering, because that's, that's something that that's really step one and foundational to being a coach. Like you got to believe in what you're delivering. If you don't believe in what you're delivering, that that's silly. You're just working against yourself. You're going to be done with this very soon. Um, and, and so like, that's what we've done to some extent, but we've messed around with ideas of like, we, we did some like drop-in coaching development stuff where I'd go teach some classes and they can watch that. We did some stuff where people would send in videos and we could review their videos, but it's been really hard to really get in front of people and show how this should be delivered, how this should really be taken on board. And I, I think people need that. They need it on a large scale. And I think both gym members need to see what's possible. And I think both and gym coaches need to see what's possible. I think members should hold their coaches accountable and hold them to a high standard. And that should be like publicly displayed constantly. Um, and similarly, coaches should be held to that standard by seeing what's possible. That's just my personal, but I, I haven't figured out a great way to do that yet. Yeah. Where, where do you guys get resistance? I mean, most of what you're delivering is from what I understand, programming workouts, uh, lesson plans, yeah. and then the daily brief. Yeah. Where do you get the most resistance from, I would imagine, either the owner, but probably more likely the coaches under the owner yeah. since they're not the ones buying it? Yeah, it, well, owner and members, right? So, so you get resistance from owner members who just think they know better, um, who are like, no, 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 this is not how you get fit. And you're like, okay, well, oftentimes that, that's such a like as a, as a coach, when I'm in a situation where someone says, no, 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 this is like, Hey, your program sucks. I'm like, cool. Tell me why. And we have this conversation. Like, I love it when I get challenged. It's really important to get challenged and, 
and to have ways you can talk about it. But I think right now there's so many voices within the programming space of what, what you're supposed to do or how it's supposed to be, or there's so much, so many Instagram videos on this is the training methodology or this is blah, 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 that, uh, that there's a lot of noise and so someone who's strong-minded who, who's gone on some like internet thread of like this is how strength training works and then they come back in and they're like this doesn't fit with that then they'll give pushback and then if a gym coach doesn't have the like wherewithal or to have that nuanced conversation be like no this is why we're doing this then you get like a little bit of an implosion there at the gym um, but I think it happens even more on an intimate level when, when coaches just don't agree with that style of program, like they've done something different or they're like an amateur competitor and they're like, yeah, I compete. So this is what I do. So every, all my members should do what I do. And they just don't agree with CrossFit programming. They don't agree with doing constantly varied functional movements executed at high intensity. Um, that's where we get pushback. Um, and that's where, that's where it doesn't work in its delivery the most because people just don't believe in it. Yeah. I would say going through the level one and level two and, and level three as well, programming seems to be the thing that gets the most kind of negative attention or pushback, I would say, and the actual seminars. Now yeah. I'm curious to hear from you since you still run the seminars, where, where do you disagree maybe, or or see things or approach things differently with warm up and workout versus sort of the overarching CrossFit methodology on programming. I don't see any difference or issue. Um, warm up and workout is as CrossFit as it gets. It's, 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 I mean, I would say the only thing that we're able to do is because we know, I'd say because we were on the ground floor doing a lot of in gym stuff, you know, and we're like willing to kind of like branch outside a little stuff. We have more control over the warmups and the, the actual skill work. So we build really detailed warmups and skill work that are, that are complex and work really, really well. Um, but we, as far as the program goes, like the, the actual programming, we're about as CrossFit as you could possibly get. Um, and I, I just, I don't disagree with CrossFit programming. Um, and I also think that there's many ways that you can do it correctly. Um, I just also think that there's a lot of people who just don't understand what they're trying to do. Um, because if you remember the level one and level two and level three, I mean, sure you do, but like our goal is not to do CrossFit for the sake of CrossFit. Our goal is to do CrossFit for the adaptation you get from it, which is fitness. Yeah. So, and, and fitness by a very specific definition of increased work capacity across broad time model domains. So I'm not chasing this idea of CrossFit. I'm chasing this idea of fitness and using CrossFit to get there. So if I'm constantly pursuing an adaptation, then I need to look at what I'm doing to make sure it's pursuing that adaptation. And I think people get caught up in the hype of like, I'm pursuing the program and not what the program gives me. Like, oh, you know, this competitor does this program or this famous gym does this program it must be a great program and it's like well it's it's, it's so much more about what the program is giving you and your your gym and your people and that adaptation should be fitness not just crossfit yeah. <laughs> for the sake of crossfit um so we don't we don't disagree um crossfit and i we 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 agree <laughs> yeah and i i think part of it too is oh i mean i know you have a very like you do heavy days and 
you don't do strength and Metcon type of stuff, correct? We do strength and Metcon occasionally, but it, it's definitely not an everyday thing because it's wrong. Yeah. So are there things, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go next was, is there things that may fit under a constantly varied function movements at high intensity umbrella, but that you would deem still sort of wrong by programming standards? For sure. Um, I think a strength Metcon, well, yes and no. I mean, I don't think that actually fits under constant variance. If you're doing strength every day, that's not constant variance. That's, that's the opposite of constant variance. That is the same shit all the time. Sorry. I didn't mean to swear. Um, that's cool. But I, and, and, you know, and the thing is we've all done it. Like we've all, I mean, at least those of us who've been around for a long time, we've all, we've all tried it and made the mistakes and done the stuff. And, when you look at the longevity of a program, that just doesn't make sense. Like when you get normal people coming in every day and every day they're put under some sort of moderate to heavy load through these complex lifts or even dumb lifts, like you don't leave enough time in an hour to actually coach them every day. There's days where you can do it, but it, 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 it shouldn't be every day. And that's the one thing that I see the most often that I see a lot of people do that just bums me out because there's just not an opportunity to truly give people unique coaching experience and people get accustomed to that and they get accustomed to that feeling of like lift something heavy breathe hard lift something heavy breathe hard mm -hmm. and then they they don't realize that there's better options out there for both overall performance and longevity and it's just it's hard to break people out of that mindset once they've done that because <laughs> it's fun yeah. and, and you enjoy it but i just i've seen it go wrong so many times and could you do it well and are there people who do it well there are for sure and but I, I think in that kind of a program it's only a matter of time before someone burns out it's just too much um too much too soon and then at the same time being one of those things where you're 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 leaving yourself very little time to actually have the interactions you need to have to create a good experience but that's just me yeah now as it relates to the what CrossFit teaches at the L1 to L4 courses and um, sort of what's not in there. So maybe it's not what you would you change, but is there anything that you would add to those courses that you feel like would really help people, help coaches maybe get some of these softer skills that you mentioned or yeah. get closer to actually creating a career versus just being able to run a class? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, I think much like I think much like what should exist in our schools, we could incorporate some of that stuff around, you know, uh, running and setting up basic things like LLCs and how not to take out debt and how to take out debt and like, you know, what, what good rents look like and what triple net is like these little things that are like, they're not hard, like all the crazy business stuff that a lot of people get. I'm like, these are not difficult things. Like they're, they're like, basically don't make really dumb decisions. Here's the six dumb decisions. Don't do this, you know? And then there's a lot of variants that you can mess around with in there. Um, I, I think there could be a little section on that uh, for sure. Um, I also think that, that depending on when you've, when was the last time you took a level one? Oh, I only took the level one once. So I've done the level, okay. the, I did L3 three years ago and renewed since then. Okay. I think it's a three year. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it, three or five years. I got it. I just renewed it. It was fun. Um, the, 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 the level one, the actual core content has stayed the same in terms of the actual meat of it, but it's delivery has been so refined over the years by the people who deliver it. I think that's something that, 
myself and a lot of other really experienced team members can do is they can deliver the content in a way that can be heard a lot more succinctly. And then we can speak to questions that may have be had or programming issues or ethos things or things that are just kind of like these intangibles within the community of like what makes CrossFit so special, you know, where are we are, like we can really speak to those in a way that can be heard a lot better. So I think a lot of what we what you're saying is now kind of built into the delivery of the actual core content by the more experienced trainers. And that, that's something that I've been really, you know, appreciative of HQ of letting us do, like we have to deliver all the content. But as we deliver the content, how we deliver it is up to us. Um, we have to get all these bullet points. We have to get all the stuff. But there's certain ways of like communicating that that we can do that kind of round out some of these skills on the side. So I, I wouldn't say it's not, I would say some basics in business. And then I would say continuing to refine the delivery. So that way people get the subtle culture side of things on board a little bit, a little bit more than it they they, they used to just get it automatically because there's like eight people who did CrossFit, but now mm-hmm. it's just so big and so misunderstood that I think that uh, you have to kind of like intentionally build it into the, the talking points. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the future of, of CrossFit and functional fitness and kind of the affiliate space headed? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I hope that as soon as like all these, I mean, you guys have had regulations lifted in your space for a couple months now what's yeah we we in california are like still like people are have been mandated to work out with masks on outside you know stuff like that still for and it might even still be the case now with limited capacity what's what's it been like since mandates and stuff got lifted did people was there a reckoning where people like yo that was scary i was i was in a place where i almost died i was really scared and i lost all human contact let me go to the gym because that's going to be important. Like, did that exist? Does that, is that happening? We've gotten a good rush, um, especially new clients. So since we've opened, I mean, we've been open since, um, July, July, basically. So we've been open for a while, uh, almost a year now, and we've had a good rush of new clients since we've been open where we, where we struggled is since we're such a volume, uh, gym, we had over 500 members pre COVID. Um, there was, a good chunk of people that lost that connection and routine, um, mainly because they, they didn't rush back last July, they held out and they held out and they held right. out and through holding out that allowed them to kind of lose, uh, that connection, that routine. And we've gotten a lot of those people back, but we just lost a certain percentage of those people. And, um, so for us, our goal is not to get back to 500. We've raised our prices. We realize we want to have a more smaller cl- class feel, so our goal is really to get into like the low 400s, um, mm-hmm. which we're not we're not too far off of right now. But mm-hmm. it's not the new member rush is there where people yeah. I think gyms are going to struggle is that if they had a good core group of people getting most or all of those core group back, they might only get, you know, they might be expecting to get 90 to 95 percent and they might only get 70 to 75 percent back. Yeah. 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 But then but then new. Yeah. But then new. So if they have good processes on getting new people in the door, they can build that back up. I would say within the next 12 months of, of opening yeah. back up. Yeah. I, I, I do see potentially as we move forward, like some sort of hybrid stuff going on where people have like something they're following at home and then come in and get trained and like go in the back and forth. 
Um, I, 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 my hope is that people invest more money in their health, like in fitness, like that. I don't really know, but I, I think that, I think the gyms that offer a really good in-person experience are just some of those valuable things that could possibly exist within our, the functional fitness space or the, the world at all. Um, and I think that there's always going to be a place for those. And, you know, what I, what I kind of hope is that there's this, like the people who need that, which is everyone have like these places they can go and find good in-person experiences, but be able to couple that with continued training at home. And like, hopefully that continues to spur them on and do stuff like that. So like, I know a lot of people went that way. I hate training at home personally. I love training with other people and that's like my jam, but I'll, I'll do it at home if I have to. Um, and that's just what I had to do for the last <laughs> two years, you know? So is what it is. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it goes back to what you originally brought up of kind of thinking about why you're getting into coaching or why you're getting into business at all is, you know, is it for the money or is it for another reason? And if you have the ability to basically have five, six hours of your week, filled up with this amazing social healthy experience of going to a, a gym and being a part of it. Like that is a really, really valuable thing. And I think I don't, I don't see that ever going away. And you know, that's how I value it in my own life. Like if I had to yeah. pay for it and I have before, before I was a coach or a gym owner, that's how I see it. It's like, of course, like to, to, you know, throw away 150, 200, $250 a month, but to have this guaranteed amazing social experience you know, an hour a day, five, six days a week. Like that's a hundred percent worth it. Oh yeah. 100%. And I just, but, but the, the, yeah, it's 100% worth it, but we need to, we need to communicate that on a daily basis. Like to, I think coaches need to make it really special, make it. So when someone doesn't come see them, they're like bummed that they didn't come see them. You know, it's like, wow, I really didn't get to go see my coach today. That sucks. Like I really wanted to do that. And, uh, it should be special. It shouldn't, I mean, the training is just like the vessel that we've used for years to have this. And it, it just happens to be that the training is also super awesome and really, really works super well, which is why I crack up when people fight over programming where I'm like, dude, that's, it's like so secondary to what you're actually offering on a daily, on a daily interactive thing. Like if you really truly believe that your Zumba class is the best possible offering, then go and deliver that thing and, and knock it out of the park and get as many people bought into it. Like it's so much better that you go do that and believe in it than deliver some like half-assed crap program that you bought from some guy that you don't like and you don't believe in, but you're doing it because it makes your life easier. Like believe in what you're doing as the coach that'll lead to the athletes. It's so much more important that, that you're stoked on those experiences. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I know you have a few minutes here to, wrap up. And I wanted to ask a little bit just about like the online business side and kind of going, going beyond coaching. Cause I think you've, you've dabbled with in-person coaching and your wife owned a gym and you still do seminar staff, but then you're kind of going beyond in the online realm. And yeah. I'm just curious if you had any, any, uh, tips on that or ways to approach that or like, and I think about it, there's a lot of gym owners that start to become fairly successful as gym owners and they want to kind of go to that next thing. And I'm just wondering yeah. if you have any uh, thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the online space is magnificent because like everybody knows, like it's scalable, right? So like 
if you build anything, you should build it to where you can scale it and and it's not exponentially more work. It's not quite as linear as like a class. I mean, that's kind of what classes are. You know, like a class is kind of scalable. You get one person, you get 10 people. It's kind of the same effort that you're putting into it. I mean, it's more effort for, for 10 people, but it, it, for sure. Um, it's, not 10 time, argue, it's not 10 times it, the effort though. It's not 10 times the effort. Yeah. So where, and I think the online space is similar to that because then you start to run into things like you don't have the same overheads of, of gym space and da, 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 da. But like, I, I think within the, the coaching realm, I found it really hard to have the same interpersonal connections online. I think uh, this is cool that you and I are talking across the country, but it's, it's, it's incredible. It's very surface level comparatively to an actual human interaction. There's something intangible that you, you're not getting um, mm-hmm. by having this digital interaction. Um, so I, I think that whatever advice I can offer in the online space is that whatever you're building and whatever you're trying to do, make sure it's scalable. Um, make sure it's something that, that like as you build it, you see potential for, and there's two ways to scale. You can either do like less people, higher price, or you can do, you know, tons of people, really low price. Um, I guess you could do tons of people, high price too, but that's just, that's just a crazy machine to run. Um, But, but I I think that if you're, if you're like in the gym space, if you're looking for the same, like payoff emotionally, it's not the same. Uh, And I'm just going to be honest with that, like that, that emotional interaction that you have with people and that coaching it's, it's very different in person than it is in the online space. The online space, I think, is a way to continue to add financial legs under your table, you know, under your income table or whatever it is. And it should be something that's not going to suck away your time from the stuff that actually matters to you. Um, and if you're going to do it, make it scalable. Um, and that's kind of always the vision I've done with it. We've tried. I mean, we failed five online attempts since starting one from workout like we've 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 launched five separate online offerings that just petered out and died just due to either lack of passion on our part or inability to market well or uh, maybe just the actual product wasn't that great you know there's there's a lot of things but just know that it's a very cluttered space that doesn't have the same emotional payoff but has the potential for um, a good revenue stream. And if you find yourself doing it in a way that you can scale it and it's something you enjoy doing, like the warm-up workout stuff, I love doing. I love chatting with gyms. It's like my favorite. Um, it, can be, it can be satisfying for sure. And both financially and a, a bit emotionally. Do you have any insight into why warm-up and workout is working for you? Whereas those other things have, haven't worked as well? Uh, I think warm up, I think for us, we were right place, right time. Uh, we were the, we were the second uh, affiliate programming company that came out. Um, and we also were the most expensive and we were the most expensive for a really long time. Um, and I think we were just kind of right place, right time. I had a just big enough of a platform and was speaking to just the right people in my general social media, which I don't think I've posted anything in like a month um, that, that uh, we just kind of got the ball rolling soon. And we don't, again, we don't have a huge business. Like when you look at some of the other programming companies that are out there, they have, you know, triple the members that we do. I mean, we have about 90 members and we stay right around there and it it allows us to live the life that we want to live. And 
we don't do huge marketing campaigns and we don't, I mean, we could, I would say whatever you're going to do, if you want to make more money, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work a lot harder for it. And we could probably work twice as hard and get triple the income, but we're not. And uh, it's just due to the nature of the choices that my wife and I have made. That's not what we're doing right now. Um, but I think we were right place, right time with that. And if I'm going to be honest, I, I don't think that if we would have come strolled into the game right now and launched it, would we have been able to pick off some of the market share? I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't fully understand how things work in that digital space. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. The social media, for instance, I don't understand social media. I don't even, I like, I don't even think it, it's real. I mean, it's real. It's clearly real, but like, I'll post something that I don't care about and I'll get millions, not millions. I'll get hundreds and thousands of hits. And then I'll post something I really care about. Nothing, you know, just radio silence. And it's like, it, it's almost like you have to play a game of paying attention to what other people like versus what you like. And I, I that's a weird, that's a weird game for me. Cause I, I don't do well with doing stuff. I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, one one thing I thought that was cool about warm up and workout is you have a choose what you pay option. Yeah. Can you can you just talk about that? Like what's the thought behind that? Yeah, our thought behind that was it started it started for uh warm up it started for right when covid kind of hit. We were we were messing around with the idea and we'd always been the most expensive in the game. Um and we we really found that we did the best when we dealt with people who really believed in what we did, which was CrossFit and really solid lesson plans. And we didn't want the barrier to entry to be like, can you afford it? We wanted the barrier to entry to be like, do you believe in it? And, and so we, we changed that up. We said, okay, we're going to do a pay what you want option. Uh, if, if that right now, because of COVID and all your stuff shut down is nothing, that's nothing. Um, and we just made that open to all our members and we launched that. And, and we kind of like, it's interesting, like, to be honest, it was about the same. Like, it's not a, we didn't, we didn't gain revenue from that. We didn't, you know, see revenue plummet from that. It was kind of about the same, but it's, it's more just kind of like the ethos behind it was there. Um, and I don't know, as, as people are coming out of it, I, I, I don't know if, if it was the best strategy necessarily. And we definitely believed in that movement, but I, I can't speak to whether or not, I know when we did it, it was definitely the right thing to do. And, and it was the right thing to do for the people. And we, I totally believe in it, but it's not like, it's not like it turned the wheel for us. And we were like, yeah, then that's when we tripled membership, you know, like it, yeah. it, the, again, the digital space is a weird one. I think all business is strange. I think some, some of it is luck and some of it's really hard work and you got to be able to put in a lot of hard work to get some luck to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I think the thing that I pick up on with you is that there just seems to be a lot of alignment in terms of who you are as a person and who you uh, show up as in terms of your businesses, how those express themselves. And that's really just another way for you to kind of show how much you actually care about helping others in terms of the business itself. Oh, well, thank you for that. I, I take a lot of pride in being as authentic as I can um, via my platforms, as well as our business. Like I've always found it very strange when I see like a business or I see like a profile and then I meet the person I'm like, that's not, there's something, Hmm, you know, like, or there's something back behind there. So we've gone out of our way to like make our voice be heard and our authentic voice be heard. That's, that's kind of how we've always done things. My wife and I. 
Cool. I love it. Well, I appreciate you making the time, Pat. We'll, we'll wrap up there. I know you got to go. Um, thanks for joining us. Is there anywhere that people can find out more about uh, warm up and work out or it doesn't sound yeah. like you got much on social media, but <laughs> no, no, I, I do. I do. I, we, we have warm up and workout social media account that posts all the time. We, we post through that, but I was just saying my personal account. Uh, I just, I realized that I haven't, I, I don't know. I just haven't had anything to say recently. Like I, 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 it's so much when I go on there, I'm like, why am I just throwing this out into the ether? <laughs> like, but whatever, that's my own, my own feelings. Um, you can find me at warm up and workout, uh, on, uh, on Instagram or warm up and Pat Barber CF is my, my personal account, mainly my kids and like tiny house stuff. Um, and then other than that, yeah, that's, it's pretty much all of it. Yeah. You have to keep us posted on the tiny house stuff. My wife and I are, are somewhat interested in that. I can't say that we would definitely do it in the future, but oh, I, I saw, a I'm not, I'm it. not living in it. I'm not living in it. We're just building it on our property and we're going to rent it out. So it's oh, like, nice. uh, okay. So, uh, we know we live in a normal house and I, I love the idea of living in a tiny house with three kids. That's, that's a hard no. Um, but building one that's different. That's fun. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for the time, Pat. Really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Andrew.